Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Well, good morning, Imago Day. Look at all of you here. Who knew 15 minutes would change your life at uh, such a drastic level, actually? And you even sang and clapped, which is bizarre at this service. We usually just coast through, um, wake up somewhere halfway through the sermon, and then be like, oh, I'm at church. It's good. We are starting a new series this week called Numa. And it's a series on the Holy Spirit. Numa is the Greek word for spirit. And part of starting this series on the Holy Spirit is just a recognition that God is moving in our body in new ways, in beautiful ways. We had a really difficult last year, and um, in his grace, God showed up. It was one of those moments where, at least as a leader, I felt like I was at my weakest, and God, in his mercy, did things that we could never make happen. And yet, as we go into a, a series on the Holy Spirit, I just want to recognize confusion that exists over this whole sort of doctrine, maybe, of the Holy Spirit. And I remember coming into uh, faith at 18, having no church experience. And so most of us kind of formulate what we think about certain things from your experiences. So for some of you, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it's like, that's freaky, that's weird. Um, Let's Let's agree that the Spirit exists, and let's pray that he doesn't come too close. And for others of you, uh, it's the Spirit is kind of blown up into this consumeristic, like, program that if you push the right buttons, uh, you always get what you want. I remember I had a friend who, uh, when I was at, at school, this is years ago, back in the late 1900s, and um, he, would, he would write in to all these televangelists when they, for whatever, he had this whole file cabinet full of stuff that they had sent him. And I remember him pulling it out, and one of them was like this guy's hands that he had photocopied. He's like, I'd like to pray for you, but I can't, so I photocopied my hands. And then he stuck the paper on his head. He was like, please, Lord. And there's just a lot of, like, confusion, and part of that confusion is because there's so much weirdness uh, out there. And so as we go through this series, I recognize that there are skeptics uh, as well as those of us who maybe are treating God like a vending machine and thinking if I get X, Y, and Z put together, he spits out blessing. And what I want us to do is really be open to the fact that That scripture tells us who the Holy Spirit is and what it means to walk in the Spirit and bear fruit for the Spirit. But one of the questions that I come to when I think of uh, this reality of the person of God, the Holy Spirit, in our presence, is what would an Old Testament believer, what would they have understood the Holy Spirit coming on the people of God, what would, how would they have understood that? What would it have meant to that person? 
And thankfully, we have that person in the Apostle Paul. Paul uh, was a, a Jewish rabbi, but he understood the scriptures really well. And he understood from the Old Testament that when the Holy Spirit came, it was a sign of something really important that God had promised long ago. And so there are two things that for Paul marked the beginning of God's new creation. And those two things were resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And Paul understood from the Old Testament that Jesus Christ raising from the dead and the giving of the Holy Spirit meant that the new age had dawned, that new creation had broken in. The, the word pneuma in the Old Testament, it's breath. It's that the Spirit of God hovered over creation. It was formless and void, and the, and the Spirit of God brings this creation into being. And in the New Testament, the Spirit of God brings new creation into being. And so the Apostle Paul understood that the future had begun and was being fulfilled. It was this place where we were living in this already the kingdom of heaven is breaking in, and yet it's not yet fulfilled. It's coming. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling himself to it, the world to himself in Christ. Christ not counting people's sins against him, and he's committed to us this ministry of reconciliation. It means that currently where we are as the people of God is that we are people who have experienced, who have tasted new creation, and yet we are awaiting its fulfillment. The old is passing, and yet the new has begun. That means that the redemption that we've experienced in Christ is already here, and yet it's not fully here. We experience forgiveness, and we experience for grace, but, but we await the redemption of our bodies. The adoption that God has named you, son or daughter, is already here, and yet we aren't with him face to face. It's coming. And what happens because of this tension between the already and the not yet is that it keeps Paul from triumphalism, from an understanding that the Holy Spirit is just here to make you wealthy and prosperous and give you whatever you want. And yet, even though he says we share in the sufferings of Christ still in this in-between time, we also experience the power of his presence and resurrection by the Holy Spirit. And so for us as the church, it means we are those people who live in the present as those who have been stamped with eternity. And so for Paul, this perspective, this understanding 
of what it meant to follow Jesus, it came from two experiences that radically would change his life forever on the Damascus Road. The first is the resurrection of Christ. He met Christ on the Damascus Road, resurrected from the dead, glorified, and he saw the first fruits of resurrection and the experience of the Holy Spirit. Look at Ezekiel chapter 36. I want you to see how Paul understood these experiences from the Old Testament and interpreted them. It says, Ezekiel is speaking about the new covenant that God's going to make with his people. And he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And so what Ezekiel was prophesying is that there would be a time that would come where God would not just restore the people of Israel, but he would bring them into a brand new thing where his his relationship with them wouldn't be predicated on obedience to the law, but there would be a radical, miraculous transformation where their heart that was desperately wicked and sinful from birth would be changed and that he would write his laws and decrees on their heart, that he would put his spirit in them, not just upon them. So when Paul experienced the Holy Spirit being poured out on his life, he knew that the future has come, that heaven is broken in, that this is what God was anticipating and had promised to do. You see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 as Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And you hear all through Paul's writings this new covenant language, that this promise that God made to Ezekiel has been fulfilled in the coming of the Spirit. And the second is resurrection. In Daniel chapter 12, resurrection is first kind of broken in on the scene. And Daniel is prophesying, he says, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. And so when Paul saw Jesus bodily resurrected on the Damascus Road, he knew the end is broken and the future has come. That God was doing something totally new. And we were in this new age of the Messiah. The Messiah was the anointed son of the father, anointed by the spirit. That God had promised 
throughout the whole of the Old Testament that he was sending someone to deliver and to reconcile and to make all things new. And so for Paul, it was like seeing Jesus and having the Spirit poured out in his life said the whole thing has changed. The game has totally changed. We are in a new age. The future has broken in. Heaven has broken in to the present. And we are people now who are stamped with heaven. For Paul, that meant that he was able to understand this longing of the Old Testament hope that we can now be reconciled to God and made new by his spirit, not through the law, not through religious duty, not through uh, obedience to the commandments, but by the spirit of God, who through faith in Christ completely renews us. That new heart is put into our lives. God's spirit takes residence. And that, that son and daughter relationship with the father becomes actualized, becomes experienced. It was this longing of the Old Testament that he realized it's here and it's now. And so for Paul, the Holy Spirit was certain evidence that the future has come and a, a absolute guarantee of its fulfillment. It's certain evidence that God, like the Holy Spirit in our life, Paul says, that's evidence that God has broken in, evidence that the Father has shown up through the resurrection of the Son, and it's an absolute guarantee of the hope of heaven. So for Paul, the Holy Spirit is essential to his experience. It's essential to following Jesus in our present existence as the people of God, who live already as sons and daughters, but who are awaiting this future glory. It means that we, we live in a world that's broken, where sin resides, where evil still exists, and yet it doesn't have the final say. We live in a world where you carry shame, you carry uh, sin and addiction, and yet there is one who has come and conquered those things. And so we're invited to walk into this already, not yet, a faith that we can taste and touch and experience, and yet one that is filled with hope and guarantee that the future is coming. The Spirit is evidence, and the Spirit is a guarantee. And there's three metaphors that I want us to pay attention to. The first is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, so you could turn there with me if you are. And these three metaphors are metaphors that Paul uses throughout all of his writings. You see them keep coming up when it's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's down payment, that's one metaphor, the Holy Spirit is a down payment. The second one is the Holy Spirit is first fruits, and I'll explain that. And the third is the Holy Spirit is a seal. So for down payment, I want you to see a couple passages. 
2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 through 22. He says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now, it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us and set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So I want you to hear, you see both seal and deposit in this passage. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, now, the natural tendency for all of us is to go, I have to make my Christian life happen. I have to make my obedience happen. I have to, like, it's basically God produced a way to be forgiven, and now it's all on you to make it happen. And Paul says that's not true. All of God's promises are yours, and they're fulfilled in Christ. And your job is to say the amen, let it be. And God is the one that makes you stand firm. And the way he does that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is the deposit, meaning Today, you are experiencing something of heaven that's coming. I bought my son a car last week, and we were drive, uh, it was on a day where I couldn't get any money out. And I don't know if you've ever shopped on Craigslist. They don't take checks. And so we showed up, and I put a deposit down until I could go to the bank and get the rest of the money. And there was... That, that was basically a very well understood thing. Yeah, I'll take your deposit because I trust you're coming back. When God pours the Holy Spirit into your heart, it is a deposit that says, this is guaranteed my promises for the future. I think for a lot of us, we are so hooked into the now and the experience of the now, that when Scripture talks about hope, when Scripture talks about heaven, when Scripture talks about being with Christ, for some of us it falls on deaf ears. Even though that's the object of our faith, that's the hope that God put in every heart to be with him and to know him and to love him, we're still kind of like, eh, I'd rather God just gave me the parking space I wanted every time I drove, right? And we short sell the abundance that the faith brings, like the, 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 the fullness of life that God wants to give us. And the Spirit empowers your faith today by essentially giving you an experience of what is going to be fully yours in the future. And so when Paul says that the Spirit is the down payment, that God loved you so much that he came after you in such a, a powerful way, and he, and, he, and he gives you his Spirit saying, this is just a taste of what's to come. But I want you to know that this thing's real. And here's the evidence my spirit poured out in your life. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, 
who has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And so he, he revisits this idea of down payment. Some of you have insecurity when it comes to faith. Like you lack assurance that, like, is this for real? Have I trusted Christ enough? Have I done enough? And Paul says the Holy Spirit is this deposit so that you can have that kind of assurance. You are God's. You're his possession. And he wants to give you all of himself. And so you don't have to live with this sense of insecurity or shame or even the cynicism that sort of bleeds over into skepticism and you never really engage faith. You couldn't really, if you were honest, you couldn't say, yeah, I love Jesus. Because that's sort of like too cheesy for you. And the Spirit of God wants to break through shame and break through cynicism and break through that lack of assurance in the future and, and, and let you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, my spirit is the evidence that I have put the deposit down on you and that I'm coming back for you, that the future is broken in now. Your people in the present stamped with eternity. The second one is first fruits. Now, first fruits is kind of a weird term for us, but it's essentially that when harvest comes, there is, you know, if you go to an apple orchard in September, there's apples that have ripened early. You pick them, they're the first fruits. When Paul understood resurrection and the giving of the Spirit as the first fruits of what was coming, the evidence and the guarantee of what was coming. Here's what he says in Romans 8, chapter, uh, verse 14. He says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Paul again comes with a new metaphor, and this one is first fruits, and he says, the Spirit of God is evidence now that you are his son and you are his daughter. That Christ gave you his own name for the Father, Abba. And he said, this is yours. You can call the Father what I call the Father. He's your Abba. That everything that belongs to Christ 
belongs to you. You are co-heirs with Christ. And the Spirit of God himself testifies that this is true. That's an experience. That's not a faith that's just cognitive, that just looks at all the facts of what Jesus accomplished and goes, hmm, good. But there's an actual experience of crying out relationally, God, you are my dad. You are my Abba. I long for you. You love me. You've accepted me. I'm yours. And the Holy Spirit makes that cry your cry. Which gives you absolute assurance of faith that this thing is real. It's evidence now about what's guaranteed to be yours in the future. And yet, it's in this in-between time. So we groan, right? Our bodies want to be redeemed. The world is still broken. It's not perfect. And yet, as we groan, we groan as those who have the first fruits of heaven. That first ripened harvest of the heaven that's coming, and that's the Holy Spirit. First fruits. The Spirit empowers your faith today through the experience of what awaits you in the future. And the, the last one is the seal. A seal was a stamp. So they would take, uh, if you've ever seen a show that uh, back in like medieval days, they would take a letter that they would write or a scroll and they would put a wax seal on it. And that seal would be stamped and every kind of owner or every person would have a stamp that identified, authenticated that this seal is from me. And so the seal and the stamp meant ownership. It also meant authentication. Like you could tell that this one is from this person because that's their stamp and nobody else owned that stamp. And it also provided the protection of that owner. That if that anything happened to that, then the owner would have issues, right? If the seal was broken. And so Paul picks up on this metaphor in Ephesians chapter 4. And he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That means that God looks out at his people and he says, I have put my Holy Spirit in your life and that is my stamp, that is my seal, that you are my possession. That authenticates that you belong to God. That means that all of his protection is upon you. That when the day of redemption comes, it's not you who made it come or you who even got yourself there, but that he is the one who fulfilled his promises to bring you through. Ownership, authentication, and protection. And so Paul picks up these three metaphors. And he says, look, there is God's Holy Spirit is a down payment of what 
he's going to give us in full. God's spirit is the first fruits of heaven that's coming. And God's spirit is the seal that stamps you and guarantees your full redemption. And, and we now live in this time where in our dependence on the spirit, will we live by faith? And is that faith just a cognitive experience? I think for many of us, we, because we really do love the word of God and we believe the word of God, that there are times where we don't give much, give much attention to the spirit of God. And what happens in that is that your faith slowly just becomes a cognitive exercise and we actually turn the Bible into something that it's not intended to be, this like mysterious book that if I just read enough of it, this thing will be true to me. And it isn't just the word, but it's the word and the spirit of God, the spirit who quickens and enlivens and indwells us, that fills us and gifts us and bears fruit. And we're gonna look at all those things in this series. But I wonder if today we know what time it is. Like, do we really understand the time that we're living in? The time of this new covenant reality where God's presence and power are yours today through the Holy Spirit. Do we understand the times that the Old Testament prophets long to peer into and that you and I get to live into those times where there is no longer obstacles to get to God or laws that we're supposed to completely keep before we get them or bulls that we have to sacrifice, but that Christ has been sacrificed once for all so that you can come all the way into the very presence of God and he has given you his spirit to indwell you and make his home in you. We talked the last few weeks about wanting more of God about really trusting and believing that God has more for you. We looked at what it meant to lose heart and just sort of be going through the motions. And one of the things that I feel like is so dangerous and even demonic in our time and place is a spirit of shame that so many of you carry from things that happen to you, things that other people, names that they put on you through experiences. And what happens when that shame sort of cloaks you is that all these things that God says are yours, his love, his mercy, his promises, the experience of his spirit that he wants to pour out into your heart, the shame just stands there. And this is why I say demonic, because it says, not for me. That stuff is for everybody else, but it's not for me. And it's not for me because I'm too, what? Too bad, too unworthy, that I, I'm damaged goods that no one could actually, this isn't true for, it's true for them, it's true for that person, it's true for the person I preach to, it's not true for me, and that's a, 
That's a demonic spirit because what it does is it undermines the gospel. It undermines the very word of God to you. It's like somebody coming into one of your child's lives and just whispering in their ear all the time, like, your dad doesn't love you. Your dad doesn't love you. Your dad. And you're the dad going, I totally love him. The second would be, in my mind, uh, cynicism, which is as well a demonic kind of spirit. There is an evil spiritness that can amplify cynicism. And what cynicism does is it just steps back away from everything, everything that God promises, goodness, love, mercy, grace, and it just sort of steps back, non-participatory, and it just critiques. It's safe because you don't have to risk yourself. You don't have to put yourself out there and like, God, would you, do you really love me? You don't have to put yourself out there to other people. You don't have to risk hope, which could disappoint you. You get to stay in no man's land and not commit anything and not hope in anything and not trust anything and just sort of be cynical. And we all have that in us, but I think demonic spirits come and they amplify what's already there. And so for some of you, you went through like a cynical stage and now you look back and you go, no, I'm just a cynical person. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And when Paul says, look, it's the evidence that heaven is real, the inbreaking of the future is now for you. One of the most defining characteristics of heaven is freedom, right? We're going to be free from sin. We're going to be free from broken bodies. We're going to be free from the enemy. We're going to be free from uh, a lack of love and violence and anger and hate. All of that is going to be freedom. And that freedom isn't just waiting for us someday. It's broken in now through the Holy Spirit. And so I ask you again, like, do we really understand what time it is for us? Are we open to say, Holy Spirit, would you give us everything you want to give us today? Would you break through this spirit of shame so that I can actually with my own lips and my own heart, by the power of your spirit, I can say that cry to the Father, Father, you are my Abba, just like Jesus did. Would you break through the, the spirit of cynicism so that I don't stand on the sidelines and miss the, the, the beauty of everything Christ has done that's actively mine to participate in by just standing back and criticizing. Holy Spirit, would you break through that and move me into a place of risk and faith where my person is embraced and forgiven and shown mercy? I, I believe that we are living in these times that the Old Testament people longed to be in. 
that we are living into the future now, that heaven is here and it's on its way. And we get to experience the presence and the power of God daily through his spirit. Walking by faith today is those who are already stamped with eternity. When Paul pulls all this together, it really creates an identity for him when he thinks about the church. Philippians chapter 3 puts it this way, Our citizenship is in heaven as we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And for Paul, he understood that our time here was that we were passing through, that we weren't supposed to set up shop and say, this is my greatest home. But they were people who were living in the world that weren't of the world. And all of those metaphors, all those pictures that he created, there's only one reason he could say that is because the Holy Spirit was poured out after the resurrection of Christ and that heaven had broken in now and it was on its way to being fulfilled. As we walk into the beginning of this series today, I just want to I want to pray today, and I want to pray for us, and, and I would ask that um, you be willing to open yourself up to what God might want to do in your heart through the Holy Spirit. I want to ask today that God would specifically break through that spirit of shame for many of you. And if that's, if that's you, you, wanna, you want me to pray for you over that, then I just ask you when I, when I say let's pray, just put your hands out like this. For others of you, the Holy Spirit wants to break through that spirit of cynicism. And if that's you, and I, when I ask us to stand to pray, just put your hands out. Don't be ashamed of being prayed for about your shame. <laughs> okay? Don't be cynical about being prayed for about your cynicism. And as we do that, and again, there'll be people at the doors here as we come to communion and uh, people willing to pray more for you. But as we do that, I wanna just invite all of us, wherever we're at on this history of the Holy Spirit, whatever your experience is, that we would just say, God, we believe you're here today in your presence and your power. And we are open as your people for you to do what you want, for you to break in with a new thing that you wanna do in my life. So would you stand and I wanna pray for us this morning. As I pray that God's spirit would break through shame and cynicism, if that's you, would you just put your hands out like this? And for the rest of you, would you just reach out and pray with and for. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that right now, 
that by your spirit, God, who was poured out by you as a gift to us, as a deposit guaranteeing that we are yours, as the first fruits of heaven breaking into our heart, as a seal that says we are going to be completely with you face to face, God. Holy Spirit, would you right now, by your power and your mercy and grace, would you break through that demonic spirit of shame over my brothers and sisters? Would they hear and see with the eyes of their heart today that they are your beloved? That God, you named them son and you were pleased. You named them daughter and you cherish. Father, with all the defense mechanisms that the enemy would want us to put up, Holy Spirit, I ask that you bind those in the name of Jesus and by the power of the blood of Christ and that you would fill Holy Spirit. Fill the hearts and the minds and the bodies of my brothers and sisters today with an overflowing abundance of the Father's love for them. Pour out the love of God into their hearts. You are the sons and daughters of God, deeply loved, adopted, blood-bought, cherished and you belong to the Father. Would you just respond to the Father by just whispering Abba, my Father. Abba, my Father. And Holy Spirit, I pray uh, for those today who have carried this spirit of cynicism for, for so long, God that right now, by the power of the blood of Christ, Holy Spirit, you would break through that cynicism. And would you reach in and pull us out of that place into this place of faith and mercy and grace? Would you break through the hard callousness that covers our hearts? And Spirit of God, would you make that soft and new, that heart of flesh that you write your law on with your spirit? Would you bring them into a place of freedom, God, because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Father God, this morning, we declare to you that we are grateful to be the people who are living into the future right now. The people stamped with eternity. And the people in the present who live in the power and the presence of your, God, of your spirit. And would you, God, awaken us and fill us and indwell us as we walk through this series to a, to a soft and tender faith that really does trust and believe in your goodness and your mercy and that you are doing something new 
each day in our lives. As I, as I finish this prayer, I would just ask that in your heart, would you yield to God and surrender to him? Say, God, do what you will. I am yours. Father, I thank you that we can even pray this prayer in your name because of all that you've done for us in Jesus. This table of bread and wine, his body broken, his blood shed, so that we could be called sons and daughters of God. Would you come now, Holy Spirit, and minister to us and hear our Abba cry. And may the, may the meditation of our heart, may our songs, may they be a blessing, God. May they please you. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amargodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.